chapter 2. I love the Christmas story and all of the things that are with it. But don't ever allow the Christmas story to be separated from the cross. Because that is the reason he came. Let's start reading in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. It says, for which cause he, talking about Jesus Christ, is not ashamed to call them, those that believe on his name, brethren. Do you get that? How many of you have ever been ashamed that you were connected to some people or a group of people and you were just embarrassed that somebody identified you with them. I remember uh, there have been many people who call themselves Christians that people say, are you a Christian like that? And I have to hang my head in shame. And I said, no, I'm not a Christian like that. That kind of behavior does not match the scriptures. And anybody can use the name. People often ask, why why do you call this a Baptist church? I mean, there's some pretty rotten people that claim to be Baptist. I said, yeah, name your religion. There's some pretty rotten people in all of them, amen? But the word Baptist simply means those that have held to the Bible and nothing else. Unfortunately, no living human beings ever measured up to that standard. But that doesn't stop us We're not going to lower the standard because of human frailty. We're going to strive to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen. And Jesus addresses that very point in this passage. It says that he was made lower than the angels. And a lot of people have taken that in a way that was never intended in the scripture and, and they tried to say, you see right there, Jesus couldn't be God because if he was lower than the angels, how could he be God? Well, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us two Sundays ago. And by the way, we're a little lower than the angels. Jesus took upon him human flesh. 
You say, how could God wrap himself in human flesh and still be God? He's God. He can do it. He veiled his attributes. He did not get rid of them. Read John chapter 3. He said, no one's seen God except the Son of Man, which came down from heaven. And read on, and it says, which is in heaven, present tense. Jesus is still the omnipresent God. But he veiled or covered his glory. And so that he could live among us. And it says here that it became him. Now, that's a word that we don't use in modern English very much. Once in a while, you read poetry or somebody will say, oh, it was very becoming. Well, that's the, the meaning of the word here. It means something that is adorning or beautiful. Jesus was adorned, glorified, in the fact that he, as the eternal God, was willing to humble himself. And when we talk about his sufferings, and, and this is all just in, in uh, the beginning, the introduction here to our sermon this morning, we talk about Jesus' sufferings, we think of the cross, we think of the beatings, we think of the mocking and all of that. But let me ask you, was it not suffering for Christ to leave heaven's glory? The object of the worship of heaven had to listen to men whom he created, whom he came to save, look at him and say, you're a man and you make yourself God. All he had to do was speak the word. And every man that ever lived in this whole earth would just have to be swept up into the cosmic dustpan and put away. But that wasn't God's plan. He said, he's not ashamed. He doesn't hang his head when he calls us, those that believe in his name, brethren. If you want to know what Christmas is about, that's what it's about. And we're just going to walk through the book of Hebrews a little bit. Uh, uh, some of you may remember as we went through the Hebrew, book of Hebrews on Thursday nights, it took us almost two years uh, on Thursday nights to go through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And we certainly do not have that kind of time this morning. But I want us to take this phrase... For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And if you want a theme of what ought to be the real theme of the Christmas season, one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. This idea that God would dwell among men is as old as the scriptures. It's not something new. And it says that God wanted to have, it, it teaches us that God wanted to have a relationship with us 
that is far deeper than anything that we could imagine. When some great teacher comes along, and if you want to find great teachers, turn on your television, it's full of them. Uh, They don't put those guys on the TV and the radio uh, because they're lousy at what they do. They're extremely good at what they do. That's why I don't recommend listening to them. It's because they are great teachers. But what do they teach? I think someone quoted one of the great teachers on television as saying, if you don't leave here feeling warm and fuzzy, something's wrong. Uh, Let me tell you, there's an awful lot in this Bible that should not leave you feeling warm and fuzzy, my friend. And until you come face to face with who and what you are and who the Savior is, there's no hope for your soul. I would much rather have you be greatly disturbed in this life and be able to enjoy the great joys of heaven for all eternity than to feel warm and fuzzy all your life and be bound hand and foot at the judgment seat of Christ and dragged to the pit. Jesus was not born at Christmas time to be the center of your nativity set. He was not born to be adored and taken care of. Next Sunday is Christmas Sunday. And uh, we're going to have a long overdue baby dedication. We put it on schedule and something happened. We took it off, put it on and finally got a hold of just about everybody, and not not everyone is going to be, may be able to make it. But I was discussing it with my wife and said, you know, that's really what ought to happen on Christmas Sunday, is we bring our babies to the Savior. Amen? Uh, the reason everybody loves the manger set is because the baby has to be taken care of. Jesus didn't come for you to take care of him. In fact, if you want to see the seed of all false religion, it is right there. It is a God that you have to care for. I remember Brother Clayton's story. I've used it often. He was visiting in the Philippines and heard a little ruckus at one of the ends of the village. And there was a woman that had a, uh, a little piece of wood or something about this long. And she was picking it up and throwing it on the ground and chattering away in a language that he was very thankful he did not understand because it was very profane. And she was sprinkling dust on it and kicking it around. And then before too long, as he was watching this spectacle, she picked this thing up off the ground, began to dust it all off and kiss it and hug it and talk to it very gently. And Brother Clayton said, what in the world is going on? She said, he said, Uh, The pastor that was there with him was kind of laughing until he said, that's her idol. She's mad at him because he didn't do what she said. And so she was punishing her God and telling him that he had better do right. And then she was hugging him and kissing him and saying, now, if you'll do what I tell you to do, I'll treat you right. Now, people say, did that really happen? Well, Brother Clayton said he saw it. 
We don't do that here. Oh, yes, we do. Don't make me let you, don't make me ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have been mad at God? How many of you yelled at God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do? How many times when something wrong happens in your life, the first expletive that comes out of your mouth is, oh my God. While we might laugh at the the foolishness of picking up her God after she had thrown him in the dirt and kicked him around, saying, now if you'll be good, I'll be good to you. But isn't that what we do in our hearts every day? Except for the word of God to condition us and train us to behave toward our God as we ought to. I can't imagine Jesus who knows everything about us, who knows everything that we've done and thought. It says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Why? Because he came to tell us about God so that God could save us, so that the relationship that we would have with him is not creator and creation, is not student to the teacher, but is members of the same family, joint heirs, of God through Christ Jesus. I want you to turn with me just over a page or two in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 4. And let's start in verse 11. It says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joint of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, as, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The first reason that I want us to look at this morning as to why Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. He wants us to have access to God. How many of you have been part of a religion where the only access you had to God was through the doors of a church building or through a priest or through a certain group of men who told you what you could or could not believe. And, and they, they would tell you that 
Listen, the Bible is a very complex book. There's no way you can understand it. If you want to understand the Bible, you've got to come to me and I'll teach you what the Bible says. Let me tell you, it's one of the greatest lies in all of history. Jesus died on the cross. He was born in Bethlehem's manger so that we could come directly to him and get help. Get grace. Get mercy. If you've ever studied the history of religion, you study the history of mankind. When a certain man or a group of men hold control over the food that the people need to eat, what do they do? They use that as leverage to control the masses. I guess it was Mr. Marx that came up with the famous quotation that religion is the opiate of the masses. Well, false religion always has been. But before then, the the medieval lords controlled the food. And if you didn't work for them, if you didn't do what they said, they put you off the land and what happened? You starved. You died. It was slavery under serfdom. But guess what? Uh, Before then, it was the armies of Rome that controlled the world. And should you dare stand against them, they came to you and destroyed you. If you wanted peace and prosperity, if you wanted goodness, what did you have to do? You had to bow at the altar of the Caesars. And those who didn't were crushed. It's kind of interesting. The believers in Jesus didn't bow. They felt the crushing foot of the Roman legions and soldiers. And yet it was only a couple of hundred years before the emperor became a Christian quote-unquote, and tried to Christianize the empire. How many believers were put in prison during the reign of communism? How many preachers lost everything because their only desire was to open this book and preach a sermon that had not been approved by the local communist party gurus, uh, gooks, excuse me, Jesus said, I died. I was born. I'm not ashamed to call them that believe on me brethren because I want you to have access, direct access to God. And of course, for centuries, people said, if you give people the Bible, they'll go crazy. Well, uh, Were there crazy people before the Bible? Uh, It's just another list in the excuse, on another line on the list of excuses, amen? Tony Alamo didn't get crazy by reading the Bible. Tony Alamo got crazy by serving Tony Alamo. By the way, I don't think he'll ever get out of prison now for what he did, and it's a good thing. Listen, 
Sung Young Moon didn't get crazy by reading the Bible. He got crazy by having visions. And anyone who is demented enough to think that Jesus would appear to him as a human being and beg him to straighten out the mess he made, quote unquote, that's what Sung Young Moon believes. He's got bigger problems than his income tax. Let me tell you. He's got bigger problems. And he didn't get crazy by reading the Bible. If you will just read the pages of this book, simply and honestly, How do you change the words, let us, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace? How, how do you change that? How do you put a church or a priest or, or some organization or some man in there? Who sits on the throne of grace? It is he who is not ashamed to call them brethren. He wants us to come to him. It says he was tempted in all points. All points. When someone is really desperately hunted by the police, what do they do? They put out what they call an all points bulletin. You know what that means? That means the highways, the railways, the subways, the airways. I mean, that means the internet. That means anything that is going out, easy pass. When they put out an all-points bulletin, there is nothing that is accepted. They are looking for that person. It means everything that's being done that is humanly possible... And the Bible tells us here that Jesus was in all points tempted. How many of you have said, don't raise your hands, please. But how many of you have said in your heart, Jesus wasn't tempted like this? No, it says in all points. He identifies with us because he loves us. He never gave in. To sin. Now, if he were a human being, you know what he would do? He would set himself up and say, you come look at me how it's done. But because he is our savior, because he wants to call us his brethren, here's what he says. I have accomplished it. You come to me and get help. Don't be afraid. How many times, I love that hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you know what it means to be able to talk to God? Now, let's just take a quick aside here. 
Don't get it mixed up with freedom of speech. We have a, a, a freedom here in this country. We call it the freedom of speech. But let me tell you something. In the United States of America, the freedom of speech, the freedom to speak, is not the freedom to make someone listen to you. You got that? We do not put a loudspeaker on the outside of this building and make the whole neighborhood listen to the sermon. Uh, there's laws against that. By the way, when you play your music, I don't want to hear it. Amen? And if you have to, put duct tape over those earbuds. But listen. Right here, what Jesus is saying is you have boldness to come to the throne of God to obtain grace, to help and mercy in a time of need. He is saying, I am giving you the right to speak unto me, but I am guaranteeing that I am listening. Do you get that? Don't confuse what God is doing with what man does. How many of you have been overwhelmed with the burdens of the season already? Trying to get everything done. So you can sit there and say, oh, isn't Christmas wonderful? I need another week to recover. That's not what Jesus is intending here now, is it? He says, I want you to come to me because I have been tempted in every point that you're tempted. I have the victory. I want to give you that victory. I know the answer to every question that you have in your soul. Come to me and I'll give you the answers. You come boldly. Now that word bold is normally a word we as Americans just don't have a problem with. We go where we want to go, how we want to go. And if we insult the queen by not curtsying or bowing the right way, tough on the queen. I mean, that's the American way. Right? And when we go to God, we say, okay, God, this is what I want. God says, no, I'm not listening to that. That's not boldly according to the Bible. You see, what we do is we say, God, I've got this great big problem. And you're the only one that can solve it. But I've got all these little ones over here and I'll take care of those. That's not boldness. Boldness is getting all the little ones over here and saying, God, you care about these two. That's boldness. Constantly going back. I believe God gives us children because he wants us to understand what he has to put up with. You can learn a lot. I mean, when that little one keeps coming back, 
Daddy, 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 you're not listening to me. Just a minute. Let me finish with the other one. But you see, God's not like that. He doesn't get tired when we keep coming back. Because the more we keep coming back, guess what? He who is not ashamed to call us brethren rubs off. And we start seeing how silly some of the things we're bothering God is. And we don't say, well, God, you're too busy to take care of this. We're saying, this item is not worthy of my prayers to God about. So I'm going to get rid of it. But God, this item is worthy of your prayers. This item is worthy of your attention. Now, who benefits from that process? We do. That's why God wants you to bring everything to him. Because he'll weed out the things that aren't important. And he'll give you grace for everything that is. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 7. Let's go to verse 24. And the book of Hebrews, I, I love to call it God's switchboard because... God makes all the connections. If you do not understand the book of Hebrews, about two-thirds of your Bible is going to be a mystery to you. And one of the great connections that God makes here in the Scripture is this idea of the priesthood. The priesthood of Levi was for the physical offerings. Every one of those physical offerings pictured the spiritual work of Christ. And we come here to verse 24, and it starts out, we started out in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, but we see Jesus, verse 24 says, But this man, talking about Jesus, because he, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now look at verse 25 carefully. Wherefore, he is able... Also to save them to the uttermost. They come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth. To make intercession for them. It says he is able to save them. To the uttermost. You see Hebrews chapter 4 establishes. Access to God. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us what that access brings. A true, an eternal, and a complete salvation. You can pick the religion, my friend. And you say, you talk a lot about false religion. Yes, I do. Because there's an awful lot of people trusting in all kinds of things to get them to heaven. And they're not going to make it. Because only he who is not ashamed to call them brethren can save you to the uttermost. Only he can take care of every point in your life. In him was life and the life was the light of men, John chapter 1. Jesus said, I am the way, 
the truth, and what? The life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. I had an uncle that was a member of a different denomination, and he's with the Lord now, and I, I believe he was truly saved, but he had this belief that if somehow you didn't keep doing what was right, you could lose your salvation. Now, the author of Hebrews here tells us that he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. Jesus is never dying. And to make intercession for them. Is it Jesus' prayers that keep you saved? No. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But Jesus understands something about you. He understands that you're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to be faced with temptation. Because you live inside this thing called time. And Jesus says, I'm never going to stop praying for you because you're my brethren. I'm not ashamed to identify with you. And I want you to be identified with me. And the reason you can't lose your salvation is not because you don't let go of Jesus. It's because he ain't letting go of you. If you have a type of salvation that you believe that you have to do certain things or maintain certain things to keep that salvation, I want to challenge you today. That type of salvation is not salvation and it's not in the Bible. He gave us access to the throne of God. And he says, I ever live to make intercession for you. I'm not letting you go. You're not getting out of my remembrance. So oftentimes we present this thing called prayer as something that God needs to move, that he's some type of inanimate being, and we, we move him by our prayers. That's not scriptural. If you want to know where that really comes from, it comes from the Eastern religions. The mantras of Buddhism is moving the forces of the universe to conform to your will. That's why you keep saying the same thing over and over again if you want it to happen. And do not miss out. The powers of the human mind are great and they're far beyond what you think you can accomplish. But never mistake what you do for what God does. You see, it is God that makes intercession for us. It is God that is holding on to us. It is God that does the saving. And the reason he wants to call us his brethren is because it's the power of God working in us. It's all of him. It's times like this. I wish I could have had everybody here this morning 
on Thursday night because Thursday night sermon is the basis of this one, really. As we're studying the book of Revelation, we're studying the worship of God. And why do we worship Him? It says they sung a new song, Thou art worthy to receive power and all of that list and strength and wisdom. Why do they sing that song? It was because it was His power that saved them. It was His power that gave them strength to live day by day. It is His work in our lives that we give glory to God for. That's why He says, come boldly to the throne of grace, my friend. Because if He doesn't do it, it's not worship to God. And it's worthless. Are we still together? we got one more point. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Access to God through Jesus Christ brings you salvation. Well-known passage if you've been around this church for any time. Verse 12, verse 1 of chapter 12, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And it goes on to say that God sometimes makes life very uncomfortable. He chastens us. But you know what? That's what a parent's job is. Is when you're not doing right, your life ought to be a miserable young person. You wonder why your parents are so mean, teenager? It ought to be because they love you and they're trying to push you and conform you into the way that you should Go. Listen. Listen. God does the same thing. You wonder why you feel the pressures of life and everything feels like it's falling in on your head. Maybe if you are truly saved and born again the Bible way, it's because God is giving you His chastening rod and He wants to bring you back into the way that is going to be best for you. How many of you remember a point in your life where God himself intervened and I mean just made you miserable? I mean, he shut down everything. He just put you in a little box and taped the top shut. And you're sitting there going, what is going on? And all of a sudden, you opened up your eyes and said, you know, I'm not living the Bible way. And you surrendered. And all of a sudden, the blessings of God came down. 
It says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. You see, he wants you to have access directly to God through Christ Jesus. You've got to let the word of God do its work. We didn't spend a lot of time on verse 12 in Hebrews chapter 4, but it's the word of God that is living and powerful. Quick is the Bible word. And it cuts all the way down and it it will discern and And you say, I don't even know how to think about this thing. Get enough word of God in your life that it will tell you what to think. You said, that sounds like brainwashing. Hey, it's dirty. When something's dirty, get it clean. Amen? Let this book wash the dirt out of your brain and out of your soul. Let the word of God do its work so that you can come boldly to the throne of God and obtain that grace to help. So that you can understand that that salvation that He has given you to the uttermost, it's not because of you. It's because of Him. But you got a race to run, my friend. All false religion. Brings you to the pinnacle of getting to heaven. True religion starts there. It starts with the knowledge of heaven. And then God says, I want to prepare you to enjoy it. That's what running that daily race is all about. And every one of us in this room, we failed this week. But you know what the Bible says? It says, looking unto Jesus. He's the author. He wrote our faith. He is the finisher. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's sitting there saying, come to me and I will give you what I have. I have victory. I have knowledge. And when we get to heaven... We will say, thou art worthy to receive power and blessing and glory and honor and wisdom and riches and strength. Why? He gave them to us so that we could run that race. Can you imagine a God that was born in Bethlehem's manger so that we could become his brethren. We could be born into his family. We can have access to God through Jesus Christ. We have an uttermost salvation if we'll come to God by Jesus Christ. Amen. And we'll be able to daily run that race. It says we're to consider Jesus. Do you know he was punished by his parents when he was 12 years old for staying in Jerusalem? When they went back to read it, he was subject unto them. That means he was punished by them. 
Did Jesus do anything wrong? No. But his whole life was full of sinners telling him he was wrong. It says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. How many of you get frustrated when you know what you're doing is right and somebody comes up and tells you it's wrong? There's few things that infuriate me more than that. I get a little weary sometimes trying to, people come up and say, well, I got a question about the Bible. They don't have a question about the Bible. Well, I actually had one guy say, well, I've come to instruct you. I said, get out of my office. I said, that's not what this church is about. If I want instruction, I'll open the word of God because I have access to his throne. If I want instruction, I'm going to go to the Savior. Not to some twit that's going to tell me that God's going to feed Christians during the tribulation by transmitting food through their television sets. That's what he was talking about. I'm not a doctor, but sometimes I wish I was. Give him something that slow him down just a little bit. Let me tell you, the world is full of people who want to instruct God. The world is full of people who want to tell God how he ought to do things. This book is full of God telling you how you ought to do things. And if you want peace, you'll find it in this book. If you want to worship the God of heaven, you'll find out how to do it in this book. If you want to run that race every day, you've got to look to the author and the finisher instead of some person who self-proclaimed expert on the subject. You see, we talk about seeing Jesus at Christmas time. But he wasn't born to be the baby in the manger. He was born so that he could Call us his brethren. Are you living in that kind of a relationship with the God of the Bible? Please don't be deceived. If you don't have the peace that God wants you to have, you're not living that way. If you're struggling trying to keep your salvation, you don't have a Bible salvation. Come get one that Jesus keeps for you. If your whole life has fallen apart around you, it's probably because you're not living, you're not running the race the way Jesus wants you to run the race. But when you surrender to him, I become a brother of the king.
stop and think about that. And you know the greatest part? He doesn't hang his head. Yeah, yeah, this is my brother. He's going to use eternity to proclaim. This is my brother. Look what I did in his life. He came to me. He got victory over sin. He learned to live in a very wicked world. The simple righteousness that belongs to me. And the four and twenty elders are going to fall at his feet and cast their crowns. And the four mighty beasts around the throne are going to say amen. And the multitude of angels are going to join in. But it will be the elders, the saints, that says, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Because I lived what you gave me to live. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would allow us to look at ourselves honestly and truly today. That we would be willing to look into the mirror of your word. Lord, that we would come boldly to that throne of grace. That we would receive you that we would come to God through Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, to receive that uttermost salvation. The Lord, as we face the daily struggles of every day, that we would not be looking how to relieve our stress, but we'd be looking to Jesus. That we'd not be looking how to figure this thing out, but we'd be looking to Jesus that we would not be looking to our own resources or abilities, but we'd be looking to Jesus. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in each heart and life during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll have-